0: Welcome to On the Way, the show of the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship at the Archdiocese of Chicago. I'm Jen Delvaux, Senior Coordinator there, and today I am very excited to have as a guest for this segment Paul Jarzembowski, who is a friend and a person that I have known for quite a while now in ministry, and particularly uh, in previous iterations of youth and young adult ministry in particular. But uh, we're excited to have you here, Paul, and you serve currently as the Associate Director of Laity, Marriage, Family Life, and Youth at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. But the exciting thing that we want to talk about today is actually your brand new book, and you are the author of Hope from the Ashes. So, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: It's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm originally a Chicagoland native, so it's uh, I I already feel uh, uh, I feel I feel at home.
0: Well, you definitely feel at home with the massive amounts of snow and cold we've been having this month. So, um, (laughs) you know, we always like to hear a little bit of people's stories, you know, being in evangelization and missionary discipleship, we think that how we got to the point we're at, what um, motivates us in our faith is such a crucial part of anything that we do in ministry. So uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit more than just your title with us.
1: I'd be glad to. Um, So... For me, a lot of a lot of my uh, work um, has been involved with young people Um, in the Chicagoland area. uh, I was uh, a parish uh, college campus and the diocesan uh, leader in uh, both youth and young adult ministry and campus ministries. And so uh, this is very much on my heart. I, I grew up in the area. And for me, Lent has always been um, a, a bit of a passion for me. Uh, when I was younger, I was that, uh, that kid in, uh, in, in, in high school and in college who um, I put on a passion play for my parish. And um, in fact, when I was in college, um, I was looking for a bunch of guys to be roman soldiers and so um i invited my fraternity brothers you know i was like hey you want to hold a spear and a sword and dress in a roman a soldier outfit they were like yeah that'd be great <laughs> so you know lent has always been an interesting part of my life uh and then as a minister um that's one of the things that i kept noticing is that um especially with young adults that every Ash Wednesday, the church would be crowded with a lot of new faces Mm -hmm. I wouldn't see. Uh, And I would notice this year after year. um, And I thought to myself, "Ah, I should do something about that. And so uh, writing the book for me was was my way to say, I'm going to do something about that. (laughs)
0: So this, you know, it I really resonate with that. I mean, the I love the one advantage of social media is you always get the throwback pictures and, you know, every lent there would come the day when the entire back of my SUV would be full of the costumes for the living way of the cross that the teens did and, you know, you're you'd be driving down the road and people would be like, "Why why does she have spears in her car? This is a little concerning." Okay. Um <laughs> I think that sometimes we can get so caught up as people who work for the church, you know, in the logistics and the the massive amount of effort that it takes to pull off Ash Wednesday, you know, having worked in large suburban parishes and a stint at Holy Name Cathedral, you know, those liturgy major liturgy days can be really overwhelming. So sometimes it can be really challenging to... Think creatively when you're just kind of trying to survive the day. And so that was one of the things I really appreciate about your book is that it talks about why this is important and then goes into a lot of really practical details. So I'd love to first talk about kind of that why component. There was a question really early on in the book that really – hit me that what if people on Ash Wednesday felt they truly belong in the community? We've spent a lot of time on the show and in our office's work talking about belonging, and a lot of people kind of dismiss it as not really that important. But yet this seems a very central question to your whole book. And I'm curious why you feel like that is such an important question.
1: Yeah, the – um uh, it's actually one of my favorite reasons uh, that when I've when I've I've done some I've done a lot of years of research on this book and asking people why it is that they do reconnect for, for ashes, why they do reconnect during the season of Lent, because the numbers are astronomical. Right. Relative to the number of people who come on a weekly or even monthly basis, the number of people who come on Ash Wednesday is is substantially higher, and the number of people who engage in Lent is even. Uh, you know, like Friday fasting mm-hmm. is even bigger. And the one reason that was always given uh, was the fact that uh, that that seems to come, it, some version of um, that there's a sense of belonging, there's a sense of I feel like I'm a part of something bigger than me, um, that there's this unity. I, one of the comparisons, I, I was talking with a sociologist about this, mm-hmm. and he compared the ashes to... Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, To like the I voted stickers on election Mm -hmm. day. And that on election day, you know, you somewhat, you feel like you belong to like the American democratic experience. And so you want to wear the sticker with pride saying, yeah, I belong to that. And I was part of that. And I had my hand in that. And um, we may not consciously be able to say that, but subconsciously, I think we know that um, there is a there is a belonging that goes with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, communities are really built uh, on belonging um, that no one ever feels left out. And I, I think this the one. Some of the most uh, interesting words we hear about today, especially from young people and those who are less connected to church, is they use words like inclusion and exclusion. And that's mm-hmm. a. Those are those are other words that mean things around belonging. Yeah. And when people say, why don't you come regularly is I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I'm included in the, in the, in the good Catholic club. So I don't show up there because church seems like it's a place for perfect people. Right. Um, one person, I, I stopped a person at the a- end of an Ash Wednesday mass and said, why are you leaving after the ashes? Like, what well, not an accusatory, <laughs> but I'm just kind of curious. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, what's, you know, do you not, you know, not, not a parishioner here. Yeah. What's the thing. He's like, this is when he's like, this part of mass is for the good people and i'm not Mm. Um, and so he's like the ashes part that's totally for me but the communion part the eucharist part Mm -hmm. that seems to be for what perfect Mm -hmm. people do because all the people who claim they're you know to be so perfect they're the ones who stay yeah Um, and all the ones who i know who are imperfect they're the ones who don't so i assume and that it's an interesting thing they just don't feel a sense that they belong to this community and so, but on Ash Wednesday, though, for a few hours, that does, mm-hmm. they do sense that belonging. Um, and some even take that, they do stay longer. Um, and if a community is one that they feel uh, connected to, they, they will stay for that mass. Uh, and they'll even engage throughout Lent, um, because for some reason, we really convey belonging during the season. And so, yeah, you know, it's a critically important, it's perhaps one of the foundational reasons why people reconnect.
0: Definitely. You know, we we talk about it a lot in the the different workshops and trainings that we do. And one of the things that we point out is that we often mistake asking somebody to fit in with actually belonging and that the fitting in component places the burden on the individual coming to us to adapt and to change and to fundamentally change who they are in order to fit in with the community versus this idea of belonging and hospitality that we're trying to cultivate is instead the community recognizing where the gifts of God are within this person, where the spirit of God is in this person, and how they can help transform the community. And that's a very challenging paradigm shift for parishes and I think for individuals too, because when somebody who comes in that their lifestyle, their decisions, and so forth don't match what you expect, don't have maybe those behaviors, it can be very easy to slide into, you know, the, the judgment component of it. Um, but I think that that recognition that by showing up, these, these individuals are looking for something. And, mm-hmm. you know, we so often uh, – can dismiss folks who do just come and the number of homilies you hear or people that are welcoming saying, oh, if only you would actually be here every week, or it's good to see you guys these two or three times a year instead of creating that sense of welcome and belonging. And I think that's one of the the essence of the, the book is that it really conveys what do we wrap around these individuals on that day? What also struck me is that in order to accomplish this belonging, because it's not just something that you can do uh, one-off, but that does take a lot of organization, is the thread of accompaniment. And that doesn't surprise me uh, at all, knowing you, but also knowing where a lot of the conversation in the church is today. And I'd love for you to share kind of how you envision accompaniment wrapping into this Ash Wednesday component.
1: Well, um, part of accompaniment means uh, it is really wrapped up in the image of the, or the scriptural image of the, uh, of the walk to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, the, 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 phrasing that, uh, is so often used and Pope Francis uses this in his exhortation, Christus Vivit, um, reminds us that Jesus walked in the wrong direction, uh, with the disciples as long as they needed to go. Um, not on his watch, but mm-hmm. on their watch. And that is a model for us that, that, you know, we talk about on Lent and Ash Wednesday about people coming back to church, but I think an accompaniment model doesn't lean too much in that. And also we, how can we go out and we go to where they are, where they feel um, they need to be. Um, And, and, and so that, so part of the accompaniment also means going, you know, thinking uh, of them, not just coming to our place, but when do we go to their place? How do we throughout Lent go to them? And we might say, well, we're not just going to follow people out to their car and then drive behind them on the way home. Like that's creepy, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, but how can we find out what is in their lives? So Mm -hmm. one of the practical suggestions I have is, you know, like on that moment of Ash Wednesday, asking people, what is it that we need to pray for? Um, What are the things that are, you know, that are, um, uh, impacting your life out there, outside the church. And then, you know, with that, re- you know, if we receive that feedback, you know, if we have prayer cards, if we have things that you can fill out, um, we can follow up with that, um, either individually follow up with that person or in general, hear, okay, you know, I'm a lot of prayers are for job loss, you know, especially mm-hmm. in this pandemic, we're getting a lot of people who, you know, the mental health, loneliness, right. depression, anxiety. Are rampant. And so if that's what we're receiving, then maybe as a church, we need to accompany people in those human realities that they're going through. So, so part of it is that. And then of course, there's just the season of Lent. Um, you know, Ash Wednesday is not the, I mean, it's certainly a a key moment, but considering that people are very engaged in the season of Lent, um, do you have, you have five, six weeks to -hmm. continue that journey with people? Um, there is an openness to fasting. There is an openness to spirituality. There's an openness to the sacred that many people who don't normally come do connect with during Lent. So um, through throughout that season, we can keep accompanying them in ways that might be very uh, might be very spiritually enriching for them to know that other people care. It's again that goes back to the belonging because. You know, you can people while they're in their world, their realities. Mm-hmm. They know that someone uh, from the from the faith community is there for them. So, so yeah, accompaniment is part of it, and it's 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 patient, it's slow, um, it takes time, um, and that's why even my last chapter is on perseverance, because mm-hmm. accompaniment is not something one does overnight. It can take many many weeks, many years, yeah. you know, yeah. for it to really take impact.
0: We're going to take a short break and come back with Paul Drazinbowski. Can a blind
2: man finally see the light? Can a blind man? At Catholic Charities, we fight hunger in Chicago throughout the year. Our six regional offices in Cook and Lake Counties work together to offer sit-down and to-go meals to anyone in need. We deliver meals to those who are homebound, and our eight food pantries offer three to four days of food supplies based on household size. Participants in these programs have the opportunity to learn about other Catholic charity services that strengthen individuals, families, and their communities. The challenges for those dealing with food insecurity are especially great during the winter months. To learn how you can help those who are hungry in your neighborhood, visit catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7525. That's 312-655-7525. Thank you for your generosity. I am a seminarian. The church needs compassionate and well-trained priests to help guide each of us through life. What inspires me, what draws me always to the priesthood is continuing to see priests be a beacon of hope for other people.
1: You can play a part in the education of these young men as they prepare for a life of service to
2: others. I want to be that beacon of hope, too, and it's... sets
1: my heart on fire. To support our seminarians, make your gift at artschicago.org slash seminarianfund, or call 312-534-7959.
0: Welcome back. This is On The Way, and I'm the co-host Jen Delvo from the Office for Evangelization Missionary Discipleship, and we're talking today with Paul Jarzembowski, author of Hope from the Ashes. And just before the break, we were talking about accompaniment, and uh, you slid conveniently right into what I wanted to talk about a little bit more of what are some of those ways that we can accompany people, because I found the, the chapter of being responsive to people had some really fascinating areas. To focus on. And I know personally the the first one, Provide Peace, Rest, and Refuge, deeply spoke to me as I'm in a particularly chaotic season in my own life. But that these kind of struck me because they did run the full gamut from Just that sense of calm, which I do always associate with Lent and some of the beautiful prayer experiences that are offered or creating the space in my own life for that. But that then also talking about different spirituality, talking about uh, even encouragement of the accomplishment of Lenten aspects. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you came to focus on a few of these and if there's any interesting stories to share from the book.
1: Part of... Uh, so I would, because this was part of the conversation about young people, uh, I w- whenever I would go and give talks, uh, whenever I would teach classes or just meet with people about this, um, there was often, um, you know, we would first talk about what we did with the, before the break, which was kind of the what and the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very fascinating. Uh, but then the conversation would quickly lead into, like you had said, what do we do? And mm-hmm. so in every presentation, I would actually turn to the uh To my audience, to the other person, and say, um, "So, you know, what have you done? What could we do now, knowing this? What brainstorm do we have?" And we would sit down and talk about it, or mm-hmm. I'd be at the podium and I'd be writing down exactly what they'd be saying. So, a lot of the ideas that are in the book come from people with whom I've had the conversations, who have done these things, or who've lived through, and we've brainstormed. Wouldn't it be great if? So um, that's where a lot of this comes from, and and. Um, that is something I, I, I didn't want to make a, I, I didn't want to just write about, um, the why, cause that's, and it's very fascinating. It's thought provoking, it, yes. you you know, but if we don't have a, well, what do I do about it mm-hmm. afterwards? Then, uh, you know, what, what, it, I mean, it's great, but it doesn't take it to that next right. level. And I think right. that's what people are looking for. So some of the, some of the things, you know, like you mentioned, like providing a sanctuary night at the church, like, like one of the things Uh, that's very common we hear about is this notion of refuge Lent is a season of refuge Mm -hmm. and our churches can be refuge places of refuge literally in our migration issues in our um, uh, issues related to immigration churches on our borders are refuge centers there are places where people who are suffering who are struggling come uh, to know that they are safe to know that they are going to be taken care of in a similar way Lent provides many of us who are really inundated with many of the struggles throughout our lives. Lent, people often come to Ash Wednesday. They do the Lenten thing not because they have Catholic guilt and they and they're trying to get out of jail free card or anything like that. <laughs> right. They're they're coming to Lent because they're looking for refuge. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm wondering, can, you know, what is it about the fact, can, you know, during Lent and then even beyond Lent, how do we provide sanctuary? Um, one of the ideas I had too is like, and use use jargon that is approachable. Um, so for instance um having a stress relief night during Lent, um having a couple of those actually ironically don't just have one stress relief night because you probably will stress someone out that they can only make the one <laughs> time during that right so have a couple of them mm-hmm. don't make it stressful um have one at night have one on the weekend mm-hmm. have one during the day depending on mm-hmm. have one at different times so that everybody whatever their stress level is they can come and during that pray have you know candlelight soft music i mean you know use the traditions of our church right but invite people through that lens not just you know hey would you like to have a night with a particular devotion that you might love mm-hmm. but that might be something that might not make any sense to someone who is disconnected and that's kind of my whole thing is approach everything in church as if it were like how would somebody who doesn't know our language how would they receive it? So how do we need to phrase it in a way that makes sense to them, that makes it accessible? Um, and then if they do come for that moment, uh, whether it's on Ash Wednesday or whether it's any time, you know, like during the year, weddings and funerals, mm-hmm. or if they find themselves just connecting to spirituality in small ways, reading their Bible, meeting with groups, talking about God, affirm that. Affirm that instead of saying, well, it'd be great if you did more. But rather affirming what they are already doing, because that that positive response that we can offer will go a long way to making them know that we are safe space and yes. we are someone that they can talk to.
0: The The point that you make about using the language that everyone understands is something we talk about all the time, you know, and it it's not only how we talk about things like prayer and are we diving into those devotions, but also, you know, I moved went and finally had the opportunity to just be a normal parishioner when I uh, left Holy Name Cathedral to start working for the Arch. And there was an event I wanted to go to, and they said, you know, go to this store, and it had a name, and it's this room with a name. And I'm thinking, I've— Been coming here on and off for four years on off weekends from the cathedral. I have no idea where that room is or that door. So, you know, when we talk about these things, it's not only how are we talking about the prayer experience and the de-stress event, but also can people find the room to go to, you know, without using that insider baseball language. So... Uh, you know, that's a part of what we talk about when we think about hospitality is, you know, how approachable oh, yeah. is everything? And I love that you even mention you know, what's the outside of the building looking like? How can people <laughs> access it, you know, as we now are wading through the snow and so forth, you know, is the sidewalk clear can, you know, and salted and so forth. Um, I think that practicality sometimes can get so lost, but it can have such great ramifications, you know, and...
1: It's the small stuff. Mm-hmm. The small stuff is sometimes what we often avoid thinking about, but yet it's probably sometimes very impactful if it's if it go when small stuff is done wrong, it's very impactful. Yes. When small stuff goes right, it it's smooth and people can move through.
0: Because it should become that conduit to actually have the experience versus I can't even get in the door, I can't find parking, you know, the perennial Chicago problem. But that whatever that barrier is becomes the barrier versus that entryway. And so I think the – the nuts and bolts practicality of this really shines and i know our listeners in some cases are folks who serve in ministry roles we have some uh, religious and priests who listen and we also have just you know everyday parishioners who sit in the pews and may not be very involved so if you could come up with maybe one suggestion for a parish person you know knowing that we only have a few weeks until lent actually starts they couldn't you know take on everything in the book what might be maybe one easy thing that they could try doing uh, as they approach Ash Wednesday this year?
1: Um, I think making a plan for yourself on Ash Wednesday in terms of how you're going to encounter people. Um, we're going to be probably masked on Ash Wednesday in our churches um, or, or or community centers or wherever we're celebrating a, a, an Ash service or mass. First of all, learn how to smile through the mask, like you know, like with your eyes. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, Making that 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 uh, chance to just kind of look at a person and and be able to greet them, ask their name. You know, it's okay to tell people. You know, can you remind me of your name again, or do we have we met yet? And I think it's okay to humbly admit, like we need to uh, we need to reintroduce ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think making a plan on that Ash Wednesday to. Uh, look for at least one or two people that we haven't yet met, and how can we um, how can we be a little bit more hospitable just sitting in the pew next to them or behind them? Um, I think that that goes a long—that's a very simple thing. And imagine if—again, it's that what-if scenario we were talking right. about at the beginning. What if every single person in the church made an effort to be uh, warm and welcoming to every person in church? Then— that community has got a very joyous Ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Sorry to say it's a little (laughs) bit of joy on that day. You know, in fact, I even encourage people like when they get up in the morning on Ash Wednesday, have a little spring in your step. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's not a normal thing to think about on a midwinter Wednesday in Lent, but get excited because the thing that you've probably been wondering about all year, when will people come back? When will the, Mm -hmm. when will there be, when will I see more people in church for one day? God says, you got it. I'm have. i I'm answering your prayer today. There will be crowds. And enjoy it. Spring mm-hmm. in your step mm-hmm. and and greet those people as you would greet Christ.
0: I think that's probably one of the simplest but most important things we can do. And I hope that whether our listeners are individual parishioners or parish staff, that they can enter into that. Uh, we've only got about two minutes left, and I want to make sure people know where can they find Hope from the Ashes if they would like to read this great book themselves.
1: That's great. Well, they can certainly obviously find it through many of the online booksellers, which will be named nameless, but there are <laughs> many out there. But uh, they can also go to paulistpress.com uh, and just search for Hope from the Ashes, um, paulistpress.com. If they go there, they can order the book straight from the website if they're ordering for a group there are some group discounts oh, so uh so inquire at Paulus press if you're with a parish or a community and you want to get five copies one for each of your uh, parish council members mm. or your staff there's it's all right there so um so yeah PaulusPress.com is going to be the easiest and uh, it might even get you uh some discounts nice. as well if you have a if you're ordering in bulk
0: I know that was one of the things I thought about, that if I was still in my director of uh, formation role at the cathedral, this would have been something I would have wanted to get for the whole commission so that we could have really thought about and plan ahead for future seasons, because it is very readable, you know, that sometimes there's books written for ministry that are a little dense, uh, but this was something that I felt would be very approachable, whether it is a parishioner who's a volunteer or a staff member looking for great ideas, so Thank you so much for your time. And again, we're grateful to have you, Paul, with us, Who, uh, Paul Dresenbowski, the author of Hope from the Ashes. And we wish you every blessing because I hear this is also going into its second printing already. So congratulations on that.
1: Yes, yes. No, very happy about that. And yeah, everyone just keep have have hope. There is hope. Definitely. Uh, and that's, I think, the good news.
0: That most definitely is. And so thank you so much for joining us. And we thank our listeners for listening to On the Wave.
2: Can